The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. Chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, the title is When a Sinner Meets the Savior, some lessons from the conversion of Zacchaeus. Thank you for the privilege of allowing me to come to preach God's word to you. It's always a blessing to come up north to God's country and uh, preach God's word here at Brian Baptist. Let's go ahead and stand as we read the word of God together. Luke chapter 19. Beginning in verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you, Father, that like Zacchaeus, you sought us when we didn't seek you. You sought us, you found us, you saved us. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in awakening us us to our sinful state, enabling us to take hold of Christ by faith as our Lord and as our Savior. Father, what you did in Zacchaeus's life, what you've done in our life, you will do in the lives of many. Father, help us to learn from your word this morning important lessons in the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would apply your word to the life of every individual who's come this morning to worship. Bless the preaching of your word to your people, to all those that are gathered here. We pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Luke chapter 18, records the incident of another rich man. 
This rich man was a, he was known as the rich young ruler. He is very wealthy. He is young. He has all his life before him. He is a ruler in the first century Jewish synagogue. So he's very religious. He has an outward faith in God. Our Lord is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time during the Passover season in order to die for our sins. And as our Lord is on his way, this rich young ruler, this rich man comes running to Jesus. And he falls on his knees and he says, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The disciples are probably excited. Surely this man's going to be saved. He's coming to the right source of eternal life, Jesus. And he's rich. He can certainly help the ministry, at least donation-wise. And so they're excited as he's come running. Unashamedly, he gets on his knees and he says, Lord, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In that question is the presupposition that he's able to do something to be saved. Jesus, the Bible says that man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Our Lord sees that this man is inherently self-righteous, and he trusts in his riches, ultimately not in the Lord. So when he told Jesus, good master, the first thing Jesus does is he rebukes him for his view of good. He says, there's none good but God only. In other words, do you realize, rich young ruler, when you call me good, you're calling me God because only God is good. He didn't realize the implications of his words. Then Jesus told him, keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? And Jesus names a few. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt honor thy father and mother. And he says, all these from my youth have I kept. What lack I yet? That's not the right answer. The right answer is, I haven't kept God's commandments. I've broken God's law, if not outwardly, at least inwardly. I am a sinner, and I need you, Jesus, as my Savior. Jesus said of the seventh commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, If a man look upon a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so the commandments are there not to save us, but to show us that we are sinners in need of a perfect Savior. Yet this self-righteous young man, this rich young man, didn't get it. I have kept all these from my youth. What do I lack yet? Jesus knows that he loves his money more than God. Jesus looks at him and says, Go and sell all that you have and pick up your cross and follow me. And at that moment, the Bible says he went away sorrowful. He left unconverted. Even though he came to Jesus, he left without Jesus, without salvation. And Jesus didn't stop him. He didn't say, wait, well, hold on, let me try a different technique to get you saved. He lets him go. And the disciples are thinking, man, this guy's a ruler in the synagogue. He obviously has some type of faith in God. He, if he can't be saved, who then can be saved? And Jesus with that says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You're right. With men, it is impossible for sinners to be saved, but not with God. And this theme of impossibility is found throughout the Gospel of Luke. 
In Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she is pregnant with the Son of God. And she's a virgin. And she says, how can these things be? And the angel says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. What is impossible with men is possible with God. That is the theme that surrounds the ministry of Jesus to sinners. The lost cannot save themselves. But with God, nothing is impossible. In verse 10 of our text this morning, it gives us the purpose of why Jesus became man in the incarnation. Why did Jesus, why was he born in a manger? Not just to give us, not for the purpose of giving us a holiday, but he came to save sinners. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why does God need to seek sinners? Why can't just God make salvation available and just wait for people to come? Well, because men on their own do not come to God. In fact, they cannot find God for the same reason a bank robber can't find a cop. He doesn't want to. When Adam sinned and partook of the forbidden fruit... When he sinned against God, he didn't immediately confess his sins to God and seek the Lord. Oh no, the Bible tells us that they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. They didn't run to God, they ran away from God to hide from the Lord. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? So it was God seeking the sinner from the beginning, not the sinner seeking God. In Romans chapter 3, when Paul is laying down the sinfulness of Jews and Gentiles and how none of us can save ourselves by our own goodness and good works, he quotes the Old Testament in Romans 3.10 and says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They've all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So what does that mean when there's none that seeketh after God? That means, in the original Greek, there is none that seeks after God. That's what it means. No one on their own seeks the Lord. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God does seek sinners. He does seek and redeem sinners. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, Jehovah God presents himself as a shepherd who looks for lost sheep. He says in Ezekiel 34, 11, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. The picture there is of Jehovah God like a shepherd and he's looking for his wandering sheep to find them and to redeem them. He says in Ezekiel 34, 16, I will seek that which was lost. It is God who seeks sinners. And that is only the mission of the Father. It is the mission of God the Son. That's why he came into this world to save sinners. The Lord is on a rescue mission to redeem people. 
The angel told Joseph in a dream before the birth of Jesus in Matthew one twenty one, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, Joshua, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not that he's going to come and try to save sinners if they will allow themselves. He is coming to save sinners. That's his purpose. To save sinners from their greatest problem. And the greatest problem is not economic oppression, political oppression. It is their sin. And their greatest need is the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 15, it says that all the publicans and sinners, they gathered to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured and said, This man, Jesus, receiveth sinners and eateth with them. In that context of self-righteous religion, Jesus gave them three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, of the lost coin, and of the lost son, the prodigal son. In each of those stories, it is about Jesus seeking and saving sinners, and that was his purpose. Jehovah God revealed in Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord Jehovah. Besides me, there is no Savior. There is one Savior, and it is God. And Christ is a Savior because Christ is God. He is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The main idea of our text this morning is simply this. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. Therefore, repent, believe, and follow him. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. Therefore, you need to repent of your sin. And you continue repenting throughout the Christian life. You need to believe savingly on Christ. And you continually believe on him and follow him. The story of Zacchaeus, his conversion, is one of the most clear illustrations in the New Testament. How God seeks and saves sinners. Jesus finds Zacchaeus, the exact location where he, needs, where he was, calls him by name, changes his life that day. Let us note this morning, in this conversion story, we see, number one, the sinner. The sinner. Who is the sinner? It is this man, Zacchaeus. Look at verse number one with me. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Jericho, it's an important city. It's a very wealthy city. It laid around uh, 840 feet below sea level. Our Lord is traveling through Jericho with thousands of other pilgrims as they are traveling up to Jerusalem around 3,500 feet. So those are more than a six-hour walk around 15 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. It is the Passover season. It is the time when Israel remembers what God did in order to rescue them and to redeem them from slavery in Egypt. God did many miracles, and the last one, of course, was the Passover, when God said he would send the angel of the Lord, and he would enter into each home, and he would kill the firstborn male of every family. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when that angel came that night, he didn't look to see if people were religious. 
He didn't look through the window to see if they had religious statues or amulets. The one thing he was looking for was, is there blood on the doorpost? Blood of a Passover lamb. The Jews were told by God to take a male lamb, to kill it, to put his blood in a basin, to take a hyssop bush, to dip it in the blood, and to go outside the home on the doorpost and put the blood there. So when the angel would come and he would see the blood, he would pass over that home. Why? Because the Hebrews were somehow better than the Egyptians? No. Because blood has already been shed. A substitutionary sacrifice has already taken place. The innocent lamb has already taken the place of guilty sinners. And so therefore, the angel would come and pass over the home and they would be saved. That night, God rescued the Hebrew people. From then on, they would celebrate during the Passover season, God's salvation of Israel. But as John the Baptist announced, the Old Testament was a picture. The reality is Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And little known to the thousands of people that are traveling through Jericho up to Jerusalem, in the midst of that crowd is the Lamb of God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's traveling through Jericho. It was known as the City of Palms. Herod had built a luxurious palace there. It was a beautiful area. Josephus records that there are times when Jerusalem had light snow, yet in Jericho it would be warm and mild, the weather. So it was a beautiful place. It was a very rich place. It was very wealthy. So if you were a tax gatherer, that's the place where you wanted to open up business. Because there was a lot of money to be made in the city of Jericho. In the middle of this large population of Jericho is this little man named Zacchaeus. Verse 2. And, behold, look, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. If we back up a little bit in the Old Testament, when Israel was ruled as a theocracy, God ruled over his people Israel, and he had his, his king there, David, or his descendants. The Jews were required to pay around 23% tax in order to support the theocracy of the Old Testament. But when we come to the time of Jesus, that's no longer the case. Israel is now ruled by the Romans. The Romans are a pagan people, a brutal people, and they rule over Israel. So Israel, the Israelites would pay a temple tax, but the rest of their taxes would go to the Roman government, a foreign government that was oppressing the nation of Israel. And the way it worked was if a man in this area, when Herod Antipas ruled, if a man wanted to collect taxes for the Romans, because there's lots of money to be made, he would purchase a tax franchise from, from Herod Antipas. So you'd go there, it's like a business venture, you'd pay a certain amount to the king, then you had an authority to become a tax gatherer for the Romans. Mind you, you would be a Hebrew, a Jew, and you would collect taxes from other Jews for the Romans, the occupiers. So immediately in the eyes of the Jews, if you collected taxes as a Jewish man from other Jews for the Romans, you have betrayed your own people. You are lower than a dog. In fact, you would not even be allowed to enter into the building of the synagogue. So there's no man more hated in Jericho than Zacchaeus. The tax gatherers were rich. They had power to collect taxes. 
They have the ability to go to somebody, if you're a tax collector, to go and say, all right, you owe, own, you owe the Roman government 10% of your goods. And they say, that's unfair. 15% for you, buddy, for complaining. Then, well, that's not fair, 20%. And then, if you didn't pay up, they had their own hired thugs to come with you to rough up the person you're collecting taxes from, to make sure you got your money. Here's Zacchaeus. He's unclean. He's hated. This is his job. He takes money from his people to give to Rome, but everything above the tax rate, he can charge more than that to make himself rich. So he is hated by his fellow Jews. He's an extortioner. He's a first century mafioso. This is Zacchaeus. So if there was anyone unclean, anyone unrighteous, anyone who was not innocent, it was Zacchaeus. Yet how, how ironic that his name is Zacchaeus. It's like me having a friend and he comes to church and I say, this is my friend, he's 7'4", 400 pounds, big old muscular guy, and I say, and his name is Tiny. 7'4", 400 pounds, he's called Tiny. This is Zacchaeus, the most unclean in that population. His name is Zacchaeus, meaning clean, innocent, pure. That's his name, and he was anything but that. Now, he's not just a tax collector. Our text says here that he was the chief among the publicans. That is, he is the number one. All the tax gatherers work for him. So not does it take his own cut, but he takes a cut from everybody else that collects taxes. He is filthy rich in this business of collecting taxes and extorting money from people. Here is Zacchaeus. Verse 3. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, that is the crowd, because he was little of stature. Something happens to Zacchaeus here. He is very curious who this Jesus is who's traveling through his city. Why? Well, we can only guess. Maybe he heard of Christ from other people. They told him of his, his, of his public preaching since Christ preached both in the synagogue and open air as well. Maybe he heard of the mighty words of Christ. Maybe he heard of the fact that he could open the eyes of the blind, make the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and he could raise the dead. But I think even more than that, I think he heard of a healing that took place already in Jericho. In the city of Jericho, the poorest man, Zacchaeus is the richest, the poorest man was a man by the name of blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, who sat by the highway side begging. The Bible records in Mark's account, Luke, and also in Matthew, that as Jesus entered the city of Jericho, there by the gate was a poor blind man. And, and it's interesting because blind men in the Bible who are healed, are hardly, their names are hardly ever mentioned. But this one is, because I believe he became a church leader after he got healed. He's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard that Jesus was passing through, he cried and lifted up his voice, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man could see who Jesus was better than people who had good working eyes. Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah. The Bible says that the crowd told him to hold his peace, meaning shut up. 
But the Bible says he cried more. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The Bible says that Jesus stopped and commanded him to be called. And he stood up and he cast his coat, the only thing he owned. He casts it from him and he comes at Jesus and Jesus says, What will thou have me to do? An odd question, asking a blind person, What do you, would you like? He's blind, but Jesus wants him to admit his total helplessness. Lord, that I might receive my sight, be it unto thee, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately his eyes were opened and began to see immediately, not after ten hours of prayer and laying hands on him and knocking him down and praying and knocking him down. There was no TBN theatrics there. He simply just healed him. And then he said, Thy faith hath saved thee. Not only are you cured, but you're saved. You're a genuine believer. Zacchaeus, but then the Bible says, And he followed Jesus in the way. This incident most likely got to the ears of Zacchaeus. And he's, he's very curious, who could this be? I know who Bartimaeus is, that poor guy that's always begging. I never give him anything. Beggars, go get a job, you bum. Zacchaeus hears of him. This is unusual. Who is this? And among the thousands of people walking through Jericho, Zacchaeus must see this Jesus. Verse 4. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. In the first century, if you were a Middle Eastern man with power, authority, and riches, you did not run in public. A powerful man, what did he do? He walked in public. He didn't run. Children run. It's almost comical. Zacchaeus runs. He runs and he climbs up a tree. Wealthy people don't climb trees. Kids do that. If you were to ask Zacchaeus, what are you doing? He'd say, I just want to see Jesus. That's all he's aware of, but God is drawing him. Zacchaeus is unaware of that. And so he climbs up the tree like a little boy, because the Bible says he's little of stature. He's short. He climbs up the tree. He's probably hiding behind the leaves. He's going incognito. And he's trying to see Jesus without Jesus seeing him. This is the sinner. God is already at work in his heart, drawing him, and the man doesn't even know it. Why? Because divine love has set his sight upon him before time began. Number two, we move from the sinner now to the Savior. The Savior is the Lord Jesus. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste. That means hurry and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. Our Lord is in a large crowd, a massive crowd. He is walking, passing through Jericho. And amongst all the people he's going to talk to, he's going to talk to the man in the tree. He goes to the tree. And Zacchaeus is probably thinking, does he see me? Zacchaeus has never met Christ. 
And earthly speaking, the Son of Man on earth never spoke to him before. And so he utters this word, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus almost fell off the tree. How does he know my name? That's kind of shocking. Someone to walk up to you out of nowhere, someone powerful, someone you never met, and they say, Jorge, how does he know me? How does he know me? Zacchaeus is stunned. How does he know my name? This is not the first time that Jesus has done such a thing. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, when Philip came to faith in Jesus, he goes and he finds Nathanael. And he tells his friend Nathanael, We have found him who Moses and the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael says, What? The Messiah is from Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth had a reputation sort of like Delano, where I come from. Philip says, come Nathaniel, come and see. So Nathaniel comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, before he says anything, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. You are a sincere man. I know you. Nathaniel says, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know him? We never met. And Jesus says, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. So there's Nathaniel, miles away under the fig tree. I don't know, maybe reading the word of God? And Jesus says, well, you were miles away. I saw you. He stood, how does he know me? This is the Messiah. And he speaks to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, make haste. Don't just come down off the tree. Hurry up. Do it quickly. Come down, for today I must abide at thy house. I love it. These are all commands. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, will you please allow me to come into your home? Please. I can't open the door from the outside. Only you, Zacchaeus, can open it from the inside. What? He tells them, get down, hurry up. I'm going to your house today. Stunning. Who invites themselves over for dinner? You don't even know them. And they just invite themselves to your house. The Savior is going after His sheep. Not to try to save Him, but to save Him. This is the determination of Christ. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must, I must. This is the must of divine necessity. I must go to your home. This is ordained by the Father before time began. That the good shepherd would come and use Zacchaeus. You're my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them to them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them from my hand. For my Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man can pluck them out of my hand. Zacchaeus doesn't even know he's one of the Lord's sheep. He's just interested in Jesus. Jesus tells him, come down. I'm going to go to your house, like right now. Verse 6. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. This is shocking. You don't find Zacchaeus saying, No! (laughs) It's like Lazarus, right? When Jesus tells dead Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth! No! (laughs) Just as it happened that way. He comes down immediately and he... He has great joy, great excitement. 
No one in the religious community has ever visited Zacchaeus. He's an untouchable. You don't go to a person's house like this. He doesn't deserve salvation. If the Messiah came, surely he would be among the respectable elite people. The people who are full of goodness, who deserve salvation. Jesus wouldn't go to save a, oh, a tax collector. And so Zacchaeus is excited, but not the people. Verse 7. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Have you ever seen a contrast between self-righteous apostate Judaism of the first century, the gracious, compassionate heart of God? We see that contrast right here in our text. When the crowd saw Jesus, Jesus, this one who claims to be the Messiah, is going to the house of Zacchaeus? <gasps> the Bible says they begin to murmur, to grumble. It's an intensive form of complaint. Oh, He's not the Messiah. Oh, I can't believe oh, a righteous person would never go to a house of a man like Zacchaeus. Oh, I'm going to faint at the thought. Oh. Jesus fellowshipping with the traitor? The crowd, listen now, the world is watching Jesus and they don't like what they see. And Jesus could care less. He could care less about the crowd's reaction. Jesus didn't try to justify. Oh, wait, wait, crowd, understand what I'm doing. Let, let, me, let me explain it to you. He doesn't do it. He's going to do what he's going to do. He doesn't need your approval. Remember seeing the bumper sticker that says, uh, God said it, I believe it. That settled it. Well, biblically, it's God said it, period. That's it. Whether you amen it or not. <laughs> it's true. And so our Lord doesn't need the approval of the world. Nor do God's people need the approval of the world. We just need the command of God. This is the Savior. He's determined to save even the worst of sinners. He saved the poorest, and now He's going to save the richest. He is an all-sufficient Savior, willing and able to save all types of people. Thirdly, in this conversion story, we see salvation by grace alone. Salvation by grace alone, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood... And said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, Jesus enters the home, speaks to Zacchaeus of who he is. No doubt he understands and believes the gospel, but none of that's recorded for us. So we, they go in, they have a conversation. And he goes in a lost man. Zacchaeus goes in the house a lost man, but he comes out a saved man. He goes in an unbeliever. He comes out a believer. Something happens. Our Lord saves him. How do you know he's saved? Well, because his life has been transformed by the grace of God in Christ. Zacchaeus' salvation revealed itself in the area where sin was most clearly his love of money. So our Lord goes in the house. The crowd is watching. They're stunned by what he did. Jesus and Zacchaeus come out, and the Bible says he stood, literally, he comes before the people, and he takes his stand for Jesus. And he says publicly to Jesus, Lord, we know from 1 Corinthians 12 that no man can say truly from the heart that Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. God has taken out the heart of stone in Zacchaeus, 
God has given him a divine heart transplant and given him a heart of flesh. This man has a true saving faith in Christ. He takes his stands and says, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, the very opposite of the rich young ruler. He would not part with his riches. He would not repent of the trust he had in his riches. He went away unconverted, but Zacchaeus, oh no, he's come to true faith in Christ. Christ is his Savior. Christ is his Lord, his Master. And so he says, if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore him fourfold. Zacchaeus declared his, his intention to make restitution to all the people he ripped off. The Old Testament, the book of Leviticus and Numbers required, when you took something by fraud from someone, you're to pay him back the full amount plus one-fifth on top of that. Zacchaeus goes beyond the law. He doesn't give just one-fifth of interest. He is four times more, up to half of his money. He gives it away. The man who lived for money is now living for the master. The one who is just a greedy man now becomes a generous man. What has happened? Biblical salvation has taken place in Zacchaeus' life. He has become a new creature in Christ. Verse 9. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For, as, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. From the people's point of view, he's nothing but a traitor. So they would say, yeah, yeah, he's a physical son of Abraham. Ethnically, he's Jewish. But he's certainly not a son of Abraham. He doesn't have the faith of Abraham. But now Jesus says, no, no, he does. He's a legitimate son of Abraham. He's only ethnically connected to Abraham. But he has the same type of faith as Abraham. Abraham, when God found him, when God found him, he was an idol worshiper in Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham was not looking for God, but God was looking for Abraham. God found him. He was an idolater dwelling among idolatrous people. Yet God sought him out and saved him. And the Bible says that Abraham, even before he was circumcised, the sign of the covenant, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith, and so was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, like Abraham, came to believe and to trust in Christ. What do we learn? Well, one lesson is this. Like Zacchaeus, sinners are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Like Zacchaeus, sinners today are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7 says, Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. To be justified is an act of God, where God declares the believing sinner justified through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what, ha this is what happened to Zacchaeus. This is what happens, what needs to happen in the life of every individual if they are to be saved for all eternity. Like Zacchaeus, you must come to God by faith and faith alone and Christ alone. Salvation for Zacchaeus was not based on anything good he had done, for he had done no good. It was based on the grace of God in the person of Christ. 
And if a man is to be saved today, he must come like a bankrupt sinner that he is, not trusting in what he can do for God, but what God has done for sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. If a man's going to be saved by like Zacchaeus, he must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. Isaac Watts wrote in the 1600s, Lord, we confess our numerous faults, how great our guilt has been. Foolish and vain were all our thoughts and all our lives were sin. Tis not by works of righteousness which our hands have done. But we are saved by sovereign grace abounding through his Son. Raised from the dead we live anew and justified by grace. We shall appear in glory too and see the Father's face. We learn also, we learn another lesson here and that is this. True salvation results in a change of life. When salvation comes, true salvation comes. Your life will change. You say, but I'm saved, but my life hasn't changed at all. Then you're not saved, biblically saved. To be biblically saved is to be is for God to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that loves the Lord and that follows the Lord. Zacchaeus goes from being a thief to a benefactor. He goes from being selfish to unselfish. He goes from being a taker to being a giver. He becomes a true son of Abraham, not by race, but by grace. God has transformed the life of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't say, you know what? I want that salvation thing, but I don't want to change my life. I don't know about this Lord stuff. I think I'll wait down 20 years down the road. I'll make Jesus my Lord. Yeah, because I don't know. You know, This Lordship stuff sounds like works to me. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just want this salvation stuff. I just want this insurance. I just want this salvation vaccine to get into heaven. But I don't want my life changed. I don't think so. Those whom God saves, he always changes. Zacchaeus is the number one example that when God saves a man, he changes a man. And that's what he did. Zacchaeus was saved by faith, not by works, but the works were an evidence that his faith was real. Ephesians 2 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But ah, the next verse says, For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The word should there. It's not an imperative. It's not a command. God is not saying, because you were saved by grace, now do works. Come on, do works. Come on, come on. You got to do it. No, no, no. Because you were saved by grace, you will do works. It is a description of what is true of those that God saves by His grace. Christianity is not a spectator sport. God doesn't save a man to sit, soak, and sour. He saves us to stand, to strive, and to serve the King of Kings. Adrian Rogers said, Whom God chooses, He uses. That's true. Genuine saving faith changes a life, the way we think, the way we live, what we live for. Zacchaeus was made a new creature in Christ. Look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek 
and to save that which was lost. This is the mission of God the Father in the book of Ezekiel. Now it is the mission of God the Son. This is what we learn here. This lesson is simply this. If Jesus came seeking to save Zacchaeus, then he is willing and able to save any lost sinner. God saves all types of sinners. We cannot say to a living man, well, yes, as God saves sinners, but not, not that guy, man. He's, he's too far. There's no way God can change that man. Oh no, there's hope. God can change any man. Christ is a mighty Savior, able to save sinners to the uttermost and to the guttermost of sinners. J.C. Ryle said, If ever there was a soul sought and saved without having done anything to deserve it, that soul was Zacchaeus. Unasked, our Lord stops and speaks to Zacchaeus. Unasked, he offers himself to be a guest in the home of a sinner. Unasked, he sends into the heart of a publican the renewing grace of the Spirit and puts him that very day among the children of God. God opened his heart. God changed this man. If God did did that to Zacchaeus, he could do that for anybody. Jesus is still seeking the lost. The body of Christ is a local church, and the local church is to be about the business of the Father to seek and save that which is lost. The question is, has he found you? God says in Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Thomas Bildney, he was born in 1495 in England. He was a Roman Catholic priest. All his life he would go to church, go to mass, go to confession. Very religious man, but he never found peace with God. He knew, though I'm religious, though I have faith in God, though I go to Mass, though I go to confession, though I I do these things, I still don't know if I die, I will go to heaven. I believe I may go to hell. Thomas Bilney could not find peace in the works and in the sacraments of the Church of Rome. He was given the gift of Erasmus' Greek translation of the New Testament. In there, he began to read the New, the New Testament in its original language and began to understand that salvation was not by the works that sinners do. It is by the work of Christ and is received by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And the verse that really just got God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God really used 1 Timothy 1.15 in his life. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Bilney cried, quote, What? St. Paul, the chief of uh, sinners, and yet St. Paul is sure being saved? Oh, assertion of St. Paul, how sweet art thou to my soul. I also am like Paul, more than Paul, the greatest of sinners. But Christ saves sinners. At last I heard of Jesus. Jesus Christ, yes, Jesus Christ saves. I see it. I see it in all, my vigils, my fasts, my pilgrimages, my purchase of masses and indulgences were destroying me instead of saving me. 
Falling on his knees, he prayed, O thou art the truth, give me strength that I may teach it and convert the ungodly. God had saved Bilney. It's interesting, he was known as Little Bilney because he was little, he was a short guy. God saved Little Bilney from trusting in his own religious works. By grace, he trusted in Christ alone. This is our Savior. The text is not about a great sinner. The text is about a great Savior, and that is Christ, who saves all types of sinners to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ is a sovereign Savior that seeks and saves sinners. Cause there to be rejoicing in the hearts of your people that you sought us when we did not seek you. You saved us not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. You saved us by your grace through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O Spirit of God, for applying the gospel to our hearts savingly. We praise you, O Father, for choosing to save us before time began, all to the glory of your great name. Father, I pray that you would encourage your people this morning with the truths of the conversion of Zacchaeus. I pray, secondly, Lord, that you would also work in the hearts of those who are unconverted, those who are in the church building, but they're not in Christ. Father, like Zacchaeus, may you find them today. May you grant them true repentance of sin and genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, work by the power of your Spirit through your Word in the life of every person who is gathered here this morning. We love you and we thank you. We pray that you would bless your truth to our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.